Welcome to Booked, the podcast where two guys tell you about the books that they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Tonight's episode is an interlude episode where we put down the book reviews for once and just talk about some other book-related topics. To kind of kick things off uh, for this episode, I just happened to notice the other day an article on a website, www.jeffvandermeer.com, where he asked his readers, what's the craziest or most experimental science fiction or fantasy book you've ever read? Um, typically, I don't read a ton of science fiction or fantasy. You know, I do if it strikes my fancy, but um, I checked it out. I just looked at some of the comments and replies and stuff. And uh, one of the things that stuck out for me was that uh, the book House of Leaves was mentioned Pretty, like it seemed like it was the one that was mentioned the most. Uh, the thing that sticks out is kind of a like a word snob thing or a genre snob. I, I always considered House of Leaves to be more of a horror story, so it kind of was weird to me that it ended up in a sci-fi fantasy kind of thread. But uh, I guess it kind of makes sense because it's definitely very experimental and crazy. If you're not familiar with House of Leaves, it's a story wrapped up in a story wrapped up in another story and i'm not gonna get into the specifics of it because it's pretty crazy but certainly if you are a a purveyor of fiction um one of the reasons that you would want to look at this is uh from an experimental standpoint this is the most interactive book i've ever read there are parts where you have to use a mirror to read the text you have to read sideways flip the book upside down Um, at one point if memory serves correctly there's just a sentence per page for a while Anytime the word house appears, it's in the color blue. And um, yeah, there's um, a, a section that you actually have to decipher kind of a code. You're kind of told there's a code in this text. And then when you read through it, it, it actually gives like an extra message when you write down all this stuff. Yeah, it's it's definitely the most, like I said, interactive book. A very interesting story, a little tough to read at times because of the structure of the story. Um, pretty frightening. I mean, it was, it was a great as a horror book, and I have to agree with Rob, I don't know that I would consider it sci-fi or fantasy, but definitely with the question being what's the craziest or most experimental book, I, even if it was a romance, you'd have to include it at least in, in, you know, in the crazy <laughs> and experimental categories. But that's kind of where I get stuck because I'm trying to think of, and it, we could talk more about House of Leaves in a minute, but I'm trying to think of other books that I've read that are crazy or experimental, and I'm coming up kind of short Obviously, some of that might have to do with with our particular choices. I mean, we we kind of you know, tread along the same lines in the stuff that we read, and I think that if we read more sci fi or fantasy, we might run into more of that. But from a structural standpoint, I don't know that there's anything out there quite like House of Leaves. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you've got obviously you've got the Raw Shark texts by Stephen Hall, which has a similar kind of experimental layout uh, to the book, but. Yeah, as far as the structure of how you read the book, House of Leaves is just, it throws all convention out the window. <laughs> and still manages to provide a really good story. So, I mean, yes, the book is very eye-catching, and even if you don't want to read it, if you come across it at the Borders or Barnes & Noble, flip through it, I mean, just to see what we're talking about. But it is a, a lot of work went into it, and I have to give them credit. A lot of people who weren't fans of the book just called it gimmicky. And you know what? If it was gimmicky, it did the job. No book that I'm aware of has been written that was anything like that. Yeah, good point. His follow-up novel, his follow-up wide-release novel, um, Only Revolutions, um, kind of shares in the crazy in the craziness a little bit. Um, it's a story about two eternal teens um, told through over the course of hundreds of years in poetry prose. But one side, if you read the book, you know from front to back, it's the boy's story told in poetry moving forward in time, and then to get her point of view, you actually flip the book over and start from the back, and it goes backwards in time, if memory serves correctly. Uh, it was one that I couldn't get through. I mean, I think it was my third try before I got through House of Leaves, Only Revolution. I think, I'm, I think I've tried that three times, too, so <laughs> it's still on my long list of books to read, but um, yeah, very crazy. As a matter of fact, it's the recommendation is that you read each um, character's story eight pages at a time, and that's how it makes the most sense. Yeah, House of Leaves, uh, when I read it, Livius warned me. Livius, as always, was the person who recommended it to me and um, warned me about how difficult it was. So I actually didn't start reading it until I was laid off a couple years, in 2008, and uh, I had absolutely nothing else to focus my time on. And I blasted through it, but it's because it was really the only thing that I was doing. So 
haven't read only revolutions that are giving it a shot. I'm pretty much just waiting until I get canned again. <laughs> <laughs> who, who knows? That could be any, any time now. Any day. The, his newest book, and this is all rumor. As far as I know, there's no official word, but my understanding was from, I think it was from his Twitter post that he delivered his newest book or at least a volume of his newest book to publishers on two iPads <laughs> and my understanding is my understanding is that it's a multi-volume story about a girl and her cat. So I think we can expect a little more from uh, Mr. Danieluski and the Strange Department, at least in uh, in in how that book is going to be read. So hopefully, I don't have to buy an iPad just to read the book. <laughs> but I, I got to tell you, if anything is going to push me over to to buy an Apple product, that that might be it. Wow, that's that's saying a lot. Knowing your love for for Apple, love my Apple. My new computer is white and silver. It's kind of like an apple. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I was going to get all snobbish and I backed off. So yeah, Daniel Lewski and House of Leaves. That's one of the books where, um, if I if if I'm talking to someone who is a professed like lover of reading and just reads a lot or is looking for something out there, House of Leaves is something that I recommend. And I don't know. I was just thinking about this kind of. Do you have like kind of a list of of books that you most frequently recommend? Uh, like some kind of go-tos or anything? I do. I mean, the ones that I recommend the most are always the ones I love the most. I've probably recommended House of Leaves to every avid reader, or even if they weren't really avid, if they kind of lean towards the strange, or I thought you know, that type yeah. of almost puzzle book would appeal to them. You know, it, it's hard to say. You, know, I, you always go to your favorite authors and, and your favorite books. A lot of times the recommendations are based on who that person is. I've made recommendations to people who don't read. And, you know, House of Leaves isn't something you throw <laughs> to someone who reads a book every, you know, three or four years. You kind of, you know, knowing them, is it going to be a noir book? Are you going to recommend, you know, Anthony Neal Smith or Christopher Bear? Do they like, you know, comedy? Go to something like Apathy and Other Small Victories or Crooked Little Vein for Warren Ellis. It kind of depends. I mean, I have some very strange books. One of uh, Susan Kay wrote a book. I don't even think this is in publication anymore, but called Phantom, which was an alternate story. I shouldn't say alternate story. It was a Phantom of the Opera, but told through many different eyes over the course of Eric the Phantom's entire life. So that's something I throw out there and not very See, I don't think I've ever even mentioned it to you. I just don't think it's something that you would like, but I have recommended that to people who, you know, I thought that would appeal to. So the recommendations are usually based on who I'm talking to. Right. And that's, that's kind of how I go. But yeah, that's a few of my favorites there. All right. And how about you? What do you recommend to people? Yeah, I guess you make a good point. It, it really depends on the person, but I think I do have kind of regular stable of books that I, I try to push on people just because they resonate so much with me. Like, and you will make fun of me for this, but practically I can find a Kurt Vonnegut book for practically anybody, <laughs> which Livy's like, like, is he like, is he your uncle? I mean, are, are, were you related to Kurt Vonnegut in some way? Or, <laughs> like royalty checks are coming to your house. No, he's just one of those authors that, you know, I think it was a, it's one of those things where y- you find an author at a specific time of your life and he really informs like, you know, or he or she, I guess really informs your thoughts on the world and everything. And that was kind of something that Vonnegut did for me. So I guess I, I don't know, really have a, a bigger affection for Vonnegut, but beyond Vonnegut, cause that's kind of obvious and a, a no brainer. I think I tried to hand contortionist handbook by Craig Clevenger to practically anybody because uh, just the way that it's written is so uh, it's gritty and real, but in a, in a very beautifully written way. So, and I might be fooling myself, but it's one of the books that I think that practically anybody could read and enjoy on some level. I have to cut in just for a second there, and I agree with you about um, Contortionist Handbook. And yes, there are books like that, and that's what I was saying before. That's what I was thinking about before you said it, is there are some that just have universal appeal. And right. yes, that, that certainly falls into that category. I also read some Vonnegut at, at your suggestion. <laughs> I remember I read three or four of them, and I really did enjoy them. I'm not going around recommending them to everybody, but I did enjoy yeah. them from what I read, so... Outside of contortionists, raw shark text, just because again, I think it's its uniqueness is appealing and just kind of well written again. But beyond that, it's just kind of on a case by case basis. I have authors I like that I just recommend in general. Like I, 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 for some reason, have recently taken a lot of liking to Jonathan Latham, and his books are kind of out there and really strange and sometimes. But the thing I like about them is they're really fast reads it's like if you just want something that you can read in a couple of days and it 
it's it's good enough where you like it, but it's not a huge commitment of time or thought or anything like that. He's good. Um, sometimes, and there's deeper, more complicated ones. Like there's a book called The Life of Insects by Victor Pelevin, a Russian writer. Which uh, you know, the best way that I, the way I usually describe it to people that I'm recommending it to is, it's almost like if M. C. Escher was an author rather than you know an artist, like a visual artist. Because the guy just twists reality and physics and everything in his writing in a way that almost anybody else would fail at, but he makes it work really, really well. So uh, those are just a few off the top of my head that um, that I like to recommend. But otherwise, it's pretty much Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> That's an overt Let's jab. <laughs> That's an overt jab because Livius typically, he hears me talk about Vonnegut enough where he thinks that, yes, he's like my uncle and I'm getting royalties for uh, for mentioning him. <laughs> like I get 10 cents every time I say Vonnegut. So let's see, let's see checklist. So you've read Ross shark text and you read house of leaves and the contortionist handbook. Have you read all the Vonnegut books? <laughs> that's, that's like, that's how Rob enters a conversation for a, for, for a book recommendation. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much um, it. Speaking, speaking of recommendations, we went ahead and posted a request on Twitter a couple of days ago um, in preparation for this podcast. If anybody had any topics, uh, questions or topics they'd like for us to discuss from Twitter user M Laz Corbier, perhaps M L A Z Corbier um, suggested that we talk about anthropophagites. Rob, would you like to tell the, the listeners um, what an anthropophagite is? Uh, yeah. Originally I was going to launch into this very descriptive and beautiful explanation of what that is, but it is just eaters of human flesh, plain and simple. Also known as cannibals, I would imagine. Well, I guess if they're humans eating other flesh, they're cannibals. Yeah, uh, I guess it would have to be humans eating humans, but cannib- <laughs> Okay, Maybe we're on the wrong track here. Maybe we're supposed to be looking for bears eating people in books. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going with cannibals for this. Yeah, our minds, it's telling that our minds jumped right to humans eating other humans. And, and here we thought perhaps, you know, if someone uh, made a suggestion that we would be stumped. Lo and behold, um, cannibals is the subject, and I have no less than three books that deal with cannibalism that I've read, <laughs> and I'm going to uh, not necessarily recommend to everybody, because they're not by Kurt Vonnegut, oh. but I, <laughs> let's touch on a couple of them here. 1997, Exquisite Corpse by Poppy Z. Bright, uh, was published by Touchstone Books. It's, how do I say this? It's a love story about two cannibalistic serial killers who find love over the body of a murdered and mutilated boy <laughs> in uh, in the French quarter of New Orleans when discussing this book with other people or recommending it to the few that I would <laughs> think to recommend this to, I, I kind of tell them that the alternate working title could have been um, gay cannibal serial killers in love. And that's really <laughs> what the book is, is about extremely well written in, written in an interesting way. Um, again, it's about two serial killers. Whenever the point of view is the one serial killer, it's done in first person. Um, the other is handled completely in third person. So it does make for a little bit of an experimental read. I don't think I've, read another book that was written in that way where the where it changed like you know you read yeah. lots of books that are written from first person you know from five different first person point of views it's usually rare that you have yeah you know, that type of break in it so anyway it's a uh, kind of loosely based on um dennis nilsson and jeffrey dahmer um, there's actually a whole scene that plays out um from the character it's based on dahmer that's was ripped right from the headlines you know in the 90s a couple of uh, descriptions of it, and this is um, one of them's from Publishers Weekly. Um, Meticulous description of necrophilia, murder, and yes, cannibalism. <laughs> and another quote that I failed to attribute to anybody when I jotted this note down. Yet another crimson leaf in the literature of the pornography of violence. That's Exquisite Corpse by Poppy Z. Bright. Um, if I had a Goodreads account in 97, I probably would have given this three and a half to four stars. Um, wow. A lot of it for its originality and the subject matter it dealt with, which at least at that point, it was the first book I'd ever read that uh, that dealt with anthropophagites. <laughs> and this book is not to be confused with a book that I just pulled off my bookshelf, uh, Exquisite Corpse by Robert Irwin, which is a book about realist artists in the 1940s and 50s in in Europe during and after World War II and just kind of the surrealist art life basically mostly in London but then also kind of throughout Europe. Uh, I'm sure Mr. Irwin was thrilled when he heard that he shared this name with another book. <laughs> yeah, um Irwin's book is kind of a play on 
the basic gamer, whatever you want to call it, where the exquisite corpse, where um, either if it's a story or a picture or something, one person starts it, stops it in the middle, uh, hands it off to someone else who then continues, picks up where that person left off until there's kind of a whole thing. So <laughs> extremely different. And it was an all right book. Uh, it didn't contain any anthropophagites. So I think Livius probably has the better book on this one. I'm also going to guess it didn't, um, it didn't contain any recipes for how to eat human flesh. Uh, no, none. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. Pop, Poppy bright threw some of those in there. <laughs> so I, I vividly remember there's just a the part where he's describing how he's making this sandwich. And I believe it's with part of the thigh of one of his victims oh. that he's basically making it to like a ham sandwich. So, and, and again, this is going back. I, I probably didn't read it in 97. It was probably you know, maybe 98, 99. So yeah, that sticks in my head from 13 years ago. All right. And there's more. Moving right along with our cannibal recipe cookbook night, uh, <laughs> going back in time a little bit further, uh, 30 plus years ago, Off Season by Jack Ketchum, um, something I didn't read until last year, maybe 2009. That and the third book is Offspring, which he wrote 11 years later as a sequel. Both of them deal with inbred savages living in the woods of Maine. Oh, right in my backyard. Uh, tourists. There are tourists that uh, get caught up in this, and you know, and there's a local sheriff and everything else, but... It does deal quite a bit with eating human flesh. The version I read, again, you know, not that long ago, was the unexpurgated edition, which is, uh, to be said, the uncut version, which isn't true. Um, based on the author's note at the end, it was his second cut. And at any rate, the the afterword by the author is really interesting. It was his first foray into into publishing. Ballantine Books was trying to break into the market then. And uh, they wanted a, a really gritty horror novel, and he gave them this. <laughs> this, all right, I'm going to read to you. Village Voice um, publicly declared, or I'm sorry, publicly declared. The Village Voice publicly scolded the publisher for printing violent pornography. <laughs> is how they how's how they referred to this book, um, and that was after multiple cuts. Even if you don't read the book, if you happen by the unexpurgated edition in the library. Um, open it up, flip to the afterward, and read for some really interesting reading from an author's point of view of what had happened to his story. Um, as a matter of fact, he says in there that he was so angry he did, he destroyed his original copy wow. of it. Yeah. So what we have is his second edit that he turned in, which was then edited further. And then he does go on to talk about some things that were in the original story that he remembers that were taken off, and actually quite a change in how the story ended too. But anyway, not to get into it uh, too far. Jack Ketchum, if you're not familiar with him, horror writer, 12 novels, five movies based on his novels, four Bram Stoker awards, no small feat there. And um, this is a really good quote. It's on the front page of his website. It's who's the scariest guy in America? Probably Jack Ketchum. <laughs> and that's a quote from, that's a quote from Stephen King. Ooh. So that's saying quite a bit. Yeah. So um, I've read some other books of his, the girl next door is fantastic. One that, I very hesitantly watched the movie that was made of it because I thought there's no way they could translate this well into a film just because of the subject matter. And it deals with a teenage girl who's abused violently and sexually by uh, an older woman and some neighbor kids. And But they did a fantastic job with the movie, you know, staying within the bounds of what could be considered an R-rated movie. So, um, yeah, if you want to read some Jack Ketchum off-season, it was Ballantine's first foray into the horror market. And like I said, the uh, must have been the 20th anniversary edition or something that I read. Has some really interesting information from Jack Ketchum at the end. Sounds good. Now, the one book that I have that involves anthropophagites is a little more new, a little more mainstream. It's actually the fifth book in the Dexter series. Dexter being the the book series that was adapted to the Showtime TV show of the same name. The first season of Dexter pretty much mirrors the first book in the Dexter series. And then from there, they kind of diverge and go different paths. The fifth Dexter book is called Dexter is Delicious, and that pretty much refers to the main kind of bad characters in this book, which are a group of gothy cannibals. And I don't know if anybody's read, if you haven't read the Dexter series, I think it's an interesting kind of read. It comes off as much more lighthearted and and kind of goofy than the TV series, but it also has a lot more gratuitous uh, violence and gore. So it's kind of a balance between it's kind of got a lighter tone to it, but at the same time does stuff that's way more gruesome than you see in the TV series. Dexter is delicious, pretty decent read. Uh, it's kind of like, I would describe it as kind of, if I've read a lot of heavy stuff and I just want 
to back it off and have something that's quick and easy, uh, like a snack, basically. That's kind of how I see the Dexter series of books. No recipes for uh, cooking human flesh, though. And then speaking of books that are being made into or have been made or are being made into TV shows and just staying with the the horror kick, I guess for a little bit here, Stephen King uh, looks like it's a go. The dark tower um, combination series slash movie, and perhaps even a little bit of an animated um, series to bridge some gaps. Uh, looks like it's a go. All right. Javier Bardem has signed on to play Roland Deschain. And I, for one am very excited. I have toted this to people and, Earlier, we were talking about sci-fi and fantasy. I'm sure there's some people that argue with me, but I think the Dark Tower series is probably the greatest saga story ever written. Ever. 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 Wow. I mean, I know the the Song of Fire and Ice, which was recently made into a TV series, Game of Thrones, is you know highly regarded, but I'm not a huge Stephen King fan. So I'm not saying this from the fanboy standpoint. I like some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Some of it I don't. But the Dark Tower series is truly fantastic. Yeah, if I'm if I'm silent during the Stephen King talk, it's because, um, admittedly, I haven't read a Stephen King book since 1996. Probably, I think I was I was 17 years old. Um, it's not that I don't like King; I admire his, I guess, his general talent and everything. It's just it, it, typically, at least the last time I read one, he wasn't someone that really interested me too much. But um, I definitely recognize his skill and influence and all that stuff the the dark tower series is one hell of a commitment to make i am just pulling information out of the air here but it's um it's eight books and it's got to be 3200 pages maybe 3500 pages roughly just a he creates this whole world that kind of encompasses much like stephen king is known for you know doing little cross references in his books the world that the gunslinger lives in is, you know, kind of encompasses a lot of the Stephen King world. So longtime fans get some treats in there that some other people might not get. I don't think you're really missing a whole lot if you haven't read a lot of other Stephen King, but it's just a fantastic story. I'm a big fan of random or gratuitous crossovers from other non-related stories. I think that's, if it's pulled off well, I think it's, yeah, like you said, really gratifying for like good, big fans. Have you gotten around to seeing Game of Thrones yet? No, I haven't. I've watched the first two episodes. Very good. I've heard good things, but Um, yeah, again, something I'm not really too familiar with. It's supposed to be one of the most expensive TV shows produced, and it really shows in the sets and the scenery and stuff. So I I haven't quite developed a real feel for it yet. We're only two episodes in. The first episode was a lot of setup, so I was a little hesitant on on, uh, how that was going to go. But I really like the second episode, and now I'm currently a week behind. It's on my DVR, and I'm going to probably be watching that sometime this weekend. But it's another uh, very successful sci-fi, or I'm sorry, rather a fantasy book series that's been made into what looks like a successful TV show. It's already been renewed for for a second season after the first night ratings were in, I think. Wow, yeah. So Dark Tower, by far the best saga ever written, huh? Not um, Harry Potter? Um, I wouldn't know. I haven't read Harry Potter, but I'm going to take a chance and, and say that from what I've seen, I remember seeing part of the first movie. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I think that that Roland Deschain would eat Harry Potter. That's pretty much where I'm at with that. <laughs> I, I kind of knew that would be a reaction, but um, I don't know. I thought the Harry Potter books were good for what they are, and I'm very ridiculously excited about the movie coming out. I'm kind of a. I'm not a fanboy about it, but I, I get kind of excited knowing that the movie. <laughs> not out. a fanboy, but you're ridiculously excited about. <laughs> I guess I should be thankful. You know, it's not often that you come across the name Livius in literature. And I remember you sending me a photograph of a page from a Harry Potter book that had my name squarely planted on the middle of the page. I can say with 100% um, certainty that that's the only time I've seen that that name in any kind of book ever. And yeah, book seven of Harry Potter, one of the very, very minor characters, no slight to you, <laughs> is uh, his name is Livius. Uh, let's see, what else do we have in book-to-TV news? Um, True Blood coming back here very shortly. I'm very excited. I thought last season um, started off a little slow, but really picked up. Um, introduced one of the best characters we've seen on that show, and probably since it started. Elsie? Very excited about that coming back, yes. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned True Blood, because it is such an enigma to me. Um, big fan of the TV show. I came to it late, but then I watched, I kind of marathon watched you know, all three seasons or whatever, back-to-back, and... 
really enjoy the TV show and I thought it was well done. I mean, it kind of had ups and downs. Some some characters I don't like, some of the story arcs I didn't really care for, but overall I thought it was that 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 witch was it season uh, 2 yeah. and that witch and yeah, god, that was awful. That whole stuff, yeah, and in general, I just don't think Terra needs to exist. <laughs> <laughs> Every show needs someone you hate and they have yeah. Terra. But based on how enthusiastic I was about the the series, um Someone told me to read the books, so I picked up the first Sookie Stackhouse book uh, by Charlene Harris. I can't remember. I think it's Dead Until Dark or something like that. And I read it, and I really didn't like it. I was surprised how much I didn't like it. And it basically, it to me was what I imagined the Twilight books to be, which is very, very heavy on romance with a little bit of weird mysticism thrown in and not much else. I've been aware of the Charlene Harris books for the several years they've been out. I might be even eight, 10 years they've been out. I'll be honest with you. I've read a lot of vampire fiction in my life. I tons of it, especially through my, you know, late teens, early twenties, all the Anne Rice stuff and Christopher golden and the original Bram Stoker and just a lot of it. So vampire books always caught my eye up until recently when everything was a vampire book, only if it wasn't a zombie novel. And I always saw the Charlene Harris books and I never picked one up because the drawings, and I don't know if this is the current books too, they always looked like the drawing on the cover was done by a fourth grade, by a fourth grader drawing a picture of Dracula, like flying through the yeah, air. Yeah, very cartoonish. Which is, which, and I literally never even picked one up to read the description just because of the book cover. Now that might make me a little shallow, but it goes also to speak. I read a lot, so I'm not terribly shallow about what I read. But the book cover was such a turnoff, I never even found out what the story was about. I assumed it was about a cartoon flying vampire. <laughs> it reads not much different than that. I, I hate to disparage anybody, and especially since the TV show is so successful, and I like it so much, but the book's just such a letdown. I have another friend who recommended him very, 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 very highly and went on for half an hour to talk about how the relationships in the book are different and how Bill is not a very central character after the first couple of books. And it's went on and on. And then I talked to you shortly thereafter and you told me just don't read them. You know, um, (laughs) the people that, and I don't want to alienate anybody who might be listening to this, but I see the people that I could see enjoying this would, the, the Sookie Stackhouse books would be people who read a lot of fanfic because it seems like it's like, if you could imagine fanfic, that like <laughs> was original and not based on something else. It kind of seems like that's what these books are written. Like if that makes any sense Just in case anybody's not familiar with fanfic um, short for fan fiction, where um, fans of a TV show, a book series, a comic book go on to create their own short stories based around the characters. Um, something that I don't believe started with the internet, but certainly it became something really, really big in a way for those people to communicate and share stories. There are, TV shows that have been off the air for years that continue to have fan fiction forums where the fans have continued on writing the stories that they would have liked to have seen. Yeah. Or alternate plot lines or characters that mm-hmm. like these characters hook up or that didn't in the show or whatever. But, um, I think someone should, write, <laughs> I think someone should write the story where, uh, Charlene Harris travels, uh, into the future and watches true blood. And that inspires her to write a series of novels based on a character, Sookie Stackhouse, which later inspires true blood. Cause that's kind of what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't want to disparage anybody, but here's what we'd like for you to do. Write some books based on the TV show that were based on your <laughs> books. And that's what we're going to read. So I, like I said, I have no exposure to the books. Um, as a general rule, if I start watching a TV show, I don't go back and read the books. The other way around will work just fine. Although I don't think I've run into that just yet where I've read some books that became a TV show. Obviously I'm sure we've all read books that became movies and I'm always in a big hurry to see those. And sometimes before seeing a movie, if it's a book, I'll try to read it beforehand. But yeah, with TV shows, I guess I'm hoping for four or five seasons at 12 to you know, 16 weeks of entertainment over the course of five years. And to spoil that with, you know, a couple hours of, of reading a book here and there, I, I think I'll take my TV entertainment that way and continue to read books that I haven't seen the TV show for, if that makes sense. That's fair. I'm kind of the opposite. I'm, I'm a completist where if I find out that something I've watched is a inspired by a book or anything like that, I kind of want to know the story from all angles. So 
I understand what you're saying about not wanting any major plot points spoiled or anything, but for me, it's just like it goes to like a holistic approach to the the story where I want to see every kind of version or or angle on it that I can. One of the few times, and this isn't TV related, but one of the few times I did that with a movie where I saw the movie and went back and read the book, and it may be the only time I've actually done this. Fight Club, and mm. that turned me on to Polinick. I've read everything he's written, with the exception of Rant, which I've read halfway through twice and kind of lost my footing in it. So I was very happy to be turned on to Polinick via a movie. Um, although I didn't read Fight Club for, I probably read three or four of his other books, whatever was out at the time. Before I read Fight Club, that was saved for last because I already knew where it was going and that type of thing. I did the same thing. I read a bunch of his books before I got to Fight Club. Um, did you read Stranger Than Fiction, his uh, collection of, I think they're nonfiction stories? I did. Interesting stuff. Portland Port, Portland Santa Clauses and <laughs> all kinds of great stuff in there. Yes, I actually did, and I don't read nonfiction very often, and that was one of the ones I did. I, I did read. So, yeah, TV um, books, there are a bunch of them out there. Um, yeah, movies have been doing it for years. TV grabbed it uh, a little more recently. Um, for anybody who's a fan of, uh, for any of the 16-year-old girls listening, um, both Vampire Diaries, which is a book series turned into a TV show, and Gossip Girl, um, same thing, have both been renewed for another season, much to my delight. I did not know Gossip Girl was spawned from a book. It is. It was a teen, kind of like a Sweet Valley High for the Rich Kids um, book series. Um, I don't know. I don't think that's still being written. I'm not sure because I know that's been around for a long time. Mm. Um, and uh, Vampire Diaries, interestingly enough, and I guess I didn't. This is kind of our kind of flying by the seat of our pants with some of these conversations and the way they're going. I don't have the author's name. I want to say it's L. J. Smith or something. Um, interestingly enough, she was fired from writing her book series. <laughs> she had originally, yeah. This was this was news eh, two months ago, perhaps. I guess the way it works was she was paid by a publisher to develop and write this book series about vampires, werewolves, witches, and, and you know, goblins and everything else that, that encompass that world. And the TV show came out, and it's a huge success. But they didn't like the direction she was heading in with her story, so they fired her from her own creation. Wow. And apparently they're going to have somebody else or some other people's. I don't know what they're planning on doing, but they plan to continue the series, just not with her. That's harsh, but I mean, I guess if she was commissioned to write it, I... it's just got to be tough to be fired from your own creation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I read through my early and mid-teen years. I read a lot of a men's adventure series called The Executioner, and after the advent of the internet, because before that you couldn't find out any type of information, um, I found out that Don Pendleton, the author, had been dead for years, and that the rights belonged to the publishing company whose name escapes me at the moment. And the reason, and you know, even as a teen, I thought, wow, this guy writes really fast. There's a book out every month. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that guy just whips them out every two or three weeks, kind of like James <laughs> Patterson. He, uh, it was a team of writers. And, you know, and going back, I mean, I didn't go back to look, but I don't remember. There was never a mention of who the author was. It was always referred to as Don Pendleton's The Executioner. Mm, yeah. And I'm sure somewhere, maybe on the copyright page, there was a you know shout out to the author. I don't know; it never occurred to me at the time to check because I just kind of thought Don Pendleton wrote them. You know, that was a series that's now recently I looked up on the internet. There are over like 300 books in that series. Did you, uh, in retrospect, do you think that do you, did you feel that there was any kind of degradation in the quality of the writing, or was it pretty consistent? It, it was very consistent. It was. Sadly, and I mean, I really love these books, and they're probably why I read as much as I do today. I remember I picked up the first one um, at a garage sale. I think I was in seventh grade, or maybe it was the summer between seventh and eighth grade. But they were short. You know, they're 185 pages each. It was always, uh, you know, some type of terrorist, uh, you know, group that, that this main character takes down. And, you know, some were better than others. You know, they had these big release books where, you know, a character would get killed off or whatever. And I don't remember thinking there was anything, I mean, like any type of author that you read you know some are just better than others right. and even within a series um no i didn't i didn't notice and like i said i mean it's something i never thought of i just remember making my dad drive me to the bookstore once mm -hmm. a month to pick up my uh, my copy of that and the two spinoff series that spun off from there that were also um i'm assuming written by <laughs> by a team of authors the reason i ask is um while you were more of a stephen king whatever kind of fan uh i kind of went nerdy sci-fi mm -hmm. and um Big time when I was a teenager, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, which I don't know if you've read or not. I have not. But no. um, one of the things about Hitchhiker's Guide 
he wrote five books in the series. And then, uh, I want to say around 2001, 2000, 2000, 2001, Douglas Adams, the author died. And just Oh nine, I want to say maybe Oh eight, Oh nine. Uh, the series was continued by actually the author of the Artemis Fowl, I think young adult, uh, book series. His name is Jan Kalfer picked up the series and wrote a sixth book, which Douglas Adams is legendary and his fan base is very, very dedicated and very. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's required reading for anybody who reads sci-fi. I mean, <laughs> all the friends I've had that read sci-fi have, you know, tried to get me to read that. It's just not my, my vein of. Yeah, but and his fans are very passionate. So to me, to hear that that someone was picking up that series it was like, this is either going to be, hey, this is all right, or this is going to be like just the biggest heresy or blasphemy ever. So I was anxious to read the book just to see how he picked it up, and it was surprising how how I did read it. I I bought it, I think the day it came out, and then I read it right away, and very impressed with with how he picked up the series and how faithful he was. So. Um, I think that's my only experience with a, a series that continued on after the author stopped writing it, the original author stopped writing it, but it, it worked out really well. Yeah. Other than that, I don't think, I mean, I know of other things, Eric von Lustbader, um, who wrote a series of ninja books in the eighties, <laughs> um, recently continued the born story, the born identity mm-hmm. conspiracy, the born, you know, lost his luggage <laughs> story. So he had recently picked that up. So I think there's a lot more of that coming and I, I don't know. Publishers are hurting nowadays and that's, you know, some of it has to do with digital books. Some of it has to do with, I think less people read, but the publishing industry has been in peril um, for a while now. And I think that some of that has to do with just renewing excitement instead of creating a new series where you commission someone to pick up a series that everybody knows. Everybody knows the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. If you've read it or not, you've heard it, you've seen the movie, you know, you've something. So, I mean, it's something on a shelf that's going to jump out at you versus this is book one of my new science fiction story or my new vampire story or whatever. Yeah, And a huge example of that actually, um, that my brother is a huge fan of that. I've never read even one book of the Robert Jordan wheel of time series, kind of a similar situation. I think, I think Jordan died and, uh, a new author just started picking up where he left off. And I think you're right. I think it's, uh, it's kind of the trend in pretty much all entertainment right now is that you don't try something new. You just go with what's kind of tried and true. And, and here's the, the scary part of that. So, you know, depending on how many years we want to go back with the statement we just made about not starting new, you look at, you mentioned twilight earlier, there was something that was a new series that, um, you know, is it original in any way, shape, or form? No. I've read a lot of vampire fiction. A lot of that stuff's been around for a while. But there's someone who wrote a new series and, you know, is probably the second most successful female author, um, second only to, to the, the lady who writes Harry Potter or wrote Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling. There you go. Thank you. I knew you'd throw that out there eventually. <laughs> I think it was <laughs> if, I, if I hung on long enough. Yes. You know, so there's somebody who did do something original and came up with it. But a more horrifying trend than that. Um, is and this is in my notes i just have random thoughts jotted down but i guess this is a good segue here recycling old material um, is one thing (laughs) (laughs) the trend started with um seth graham smith he wrote pride and prejudice and zombies Uh, you know this is the monster classic book mash up and i'll give him credit i don't know if anybody did this before him i know that was the first one to make really really big you know news and hit the bestseller list he he followed that up with abraham lincoln vampire hunter which i really really liked i tried reading pride and prejudice and zombies and literally about 30 pages into it just couldn't do it anymore but he started this trend that turned into Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters. Here's a couple I came across the other day while I was looking for books for us to review. <laughs> I really want us to review a horror book, so it's coming. But in looking through horror books, here's what I came across. Wuthering Bites, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet and Vampires, and Jane Slayer. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> this is yeah, this is this is a frightening trend because apparently you can just take a classic that's out of uh, out of copyright and you can throw, you know, a gorilla or some sea monsters <laughs> or, you know, a vampire in there and then come up with a really witty title like Wuthering Bites and get a, a published novel. And I guess I should say these could perhaps just be ebooks. I don't even know if they're in paper publication or not. Um, interestingly enough, though, Graham Smith's first widely published book was called, <laughs> here's another kind of mashup, I guess, um, The Big Book of Porn, A Penetrating Look at the World of Dirty Movies 
which was a nonfiction history of the erotic art form published in 2005. <laughs> yeah, so he went from that, and now he's a. Uh, uh, both of his um, books are being uh, adapted into film. I'm actually a little bit excited about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I had very, very low expectations mm. of it based on the fact that I tried to read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but I got to tell you, it was. Uh, the historical fiction part of it was really good, and I think he did a fair job adapting vampires into it. They weren't, you know, they weren't everywhere. It wasn't, you know, like we just talked about, it wasn't Twilight or True Blood. It was a, if you were to believe in vampires, it was a very believable vampire story, even tied in with Abe Lincoln. All right. But yeah, the the, the trend of <laughs> of the monster mashup is, uh, it's gotten pretty old pretty quick. It's right up there with zombies and vampires now. So I guess all you need to do is you need to figure out what the next big monster is going to be, and you can write yourself a, a hit series um, before anybody else does. Which, actually, that's our plan. We're going to try and uh, start a series of very easy to write, very easy to sell, but probably not that great or time-consuming books. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, there is probably a, uh, there's probably a website on how to write a best-selling series that we could actually just take the template from. Yeah, change um, some words. But do remember, Jane Slayer, the name's already taken. Oh. So we'll have to come up with something even more witty than that. Back to the drawing board. That's right. All right. Um, Other than that, the only only thing I had on my notes here is we've tossed around the idea from time to time of doing just a quick like 15-minute podcast, perhaps every Monday or Tuesday, letting everybody know what books, uh, perhaps not all the books that came out, but the couple that are interesting and maybe picking one that we would um, be willing to buy and read, you know, that type of thing. And Mm -hmm. the only thing that really jumped out at me on this list this week was um, 10th Anniversary by James Patterson and Maxine Petro. And the reason this jumped off the list at me is that it's the first Tuesday of the month, which means <laughs> Air Raid Sirens and a new James Patterson book. <laughs> like clockwork, 10 o'clock every first Tuesday of the month, I guess, because this has got to be his fourth or fifth novel this year already. It's May. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And see, and now do you see why I thought maybe Don Pendleton was really writing a book a month? James Patterson can do it. Why can't Don Pendleton? <laughs> well, that raises the suspicion. Is he actually writing the books or is he? He has been, he has been co-authoring a lot of books, um, which I don't know what is required for you to be a co-author. Like how much, what percentage of that book you have to put down, or are you just involved in the idea? <laughs> maybe he's just an idea machine. He had lunch. And he comes up with all these great <laughs> ideas. Yeah, and maybe he gets co-authorship. He had lunch with the author, and they talked about the story, and he's like, yeah, write it. <laughs> I will tell you what, you could, um, that's the new plan, because our other plan where we write a book on Get on Oprah and Become Millionaires is gone, um, now that Oprah is, um, is going to be off the air here in a couple of weeks and probably isn't filming any new shows. So what we need to do is just get James Patterson to co-author whatever we write. And that's our ticket to, to the big. Or night. we can um, write an autobiographical book, have Oprah talk about it, and then, oh, damn, that's that's taken too. Oprah's gone. I'm telling, but yeah, but Oprah's gone. We can't do that yeah. anymore. James Frey, James Frey, locked that up. I'm sure that the few books that Oprah did <laughs> a chance to put her name on her stamp of approval on after that were probably well. Yeah, they probably vet the hell out of them. They did probably vet the hell out of them after that. Yeah, so that's what I've got from my list of notes. We can talk about whatever else you'd like, but all my little scribblings have been touched upon now. Well, it wouldn't be an episode of Booked if we didn't uh, if we didn't get all uppity about words in one way or another. And um, don't 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 we that? That's if you don't. I can perfectly go a whole episode without calling somebody out on. <laughs> Or well, I'm calling out the entire world basically this time because. It, oh, oh, there we go. <laughs> We're not singling anybody out this time. That's um, good. This is just something that I observed in everyday life, and it's one of the things that just bothers me way more than it probably should. Uh, it's it's when people speak numbers, and they use the word "and" where I don't think they should. Let <laughs> me explain that a little more. Like I say, one hundred twenty-five. Uh, some people say one hundred and twenty-five, and I was always taught, and I was brought up to understand that the and was where the decimal point should be so 125 and 30 cents or something like that common use i looked this up common use has made it acceptable to say and so 422 is just as acceptable as saying 422 and it just bothers me to no end i understand practically nobody is going to agree with me about this but it's something that even (laughs) earlier in this episode livius i think you were saying a, a year and you said you know, 2007 and it, and it was like, <laughs> when I heard you say it, Oh my God, <sighs> you know, and the funny part is we had this conversation the other night and you kind of touched on it a little bit. And 
I said I would pay attention to see if I yeah. say it. And, you know, I got to tell you, I think I said that and I completely put it out of my mind as something important for me to pay attention You're like, there is no limit to how much I don't care about this route. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Common use is, um, it's an interesting thing because language develops and there are those people who'd like to see it not continue to develop. And I, I'm, I'm on the fence on this. I, I don't know if enough people say something incorrectly, if we make it correct or not. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, everything else evolves. So language should probably evolve too, I would think. I mean, we create new words all the time, but we have to because of new technologies and you know and that type of thing. Is it right? I don't know. If 70% of the world starts saying and after every number, like, you know, 10 and 7 or 4 score and 7 years ago. Um, oh, you had to bring Abraham Lincoln into it, didn't you? Well, it was a nice little segue from our previous <laughs> segment, so I don't know. Perhaps you're just un-American if you can't agree with, with good old Abe. Oh, yeah, I don't know. If enough people say it, does it make it right that it's said that way? Um, Stephen Fry, one of his essays that I caught on probably io9 and only because it was done in a very visually stunning way by somebody else, touched on the topic a lot. and It was kind of interesting as he said he grew up being you know the equivalent of a word snob and constantly calling people out and but as he got older, he decided that, you know, if people want to express themselves, however they express themselves, especially the minute, you know, words that have a slightly different sound and have a completely different meaning. Um, what was the one you had mentioned a couple of podcasts ago? It was from three seconds, I think. Oh, no, um, was, disorient and disorientate. Yes. Yeah. His whole take on it was whatever, you know, so apparently acceptable use. Was even, you know, widespread use kind of apparently he's given the liberty if enough people do it as long as you're getting your point across and making a point that it really doesn't matter how you say it. And I'll it. be the first one to admit that I'm like the biggest hypocrite when it comes to that because I use words either completely you know the wrong way or um I'll latch on to some new use of a word if I if I'm just into it. So I'm the giant hypocrite when it comes to that, but at the same time, yeah, I guess it's one of those things where I just pick and choose what I want to adhere to the rules and what I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Some brutal honesty there, man. I'm proud of you. I own it. <laughs> All right. So we didn't mention this earlier. Um, the interlude podcast is here because we'd like to keep something fresh on the table all the time. And uh, we're kind of stumbling through our most recent book a little bit, The Pale King by David Foster Wallace. Rob predicted this book would be a little tough to get through. And uh, so far, he's uh, he's he's pretty correct there. I'm, I'm having some trouble getting through it. Uh, it's just going a little slower than we thought. Uh, okay. True to form, it is a little difficult to get through. But I, I not in a way where it's like boring or poorly written. I think it's just uh just challenging it's it's dense in parts and it's just like it's tougher to comprehend than your usual book one thing that i'm really enjoying being um a native chicagoan i guess i should say a displaced chicagoan currently i live in vermont uh we it's it's stated in the in the book jacket and everything that it's a an illinois-based book but um the amount of detail he gets into about locations and stuff he talks about uic university of illinois chicago he talks about specific parts of the city. He talks about suburbs, including uh, which, Livius, you'll enjoy this. He actually mentioned Libertyville at one point. That's see, Rob's in Vermont. I'm in Lake County and Round Lake, not too far from Libertyville. Yeah, like a stone's throw from Livius is a, is a uh, town that he mentioned. So it's very, and that's something in TV shows, movies, books, everything. If I if I read something or watch something that has anything to do with Chicago in that area instantly a huge buy-in for me because I've got all that kind of sensory and tactile memory from being in that area that makes it just that much more real for me. So it's definitely got that location-wise. I'm so bought into it and uh, very, very Illinois. A lot of Illinois love, and I like that a lot. Let me ask you a question: Do you get that same attachment when Brattleboro is is mentioned in books and movies? As a matter of fact, I do, and. I was being totally facetious in that too, and I, don't, I really didn't think that you'd come across. I don't know it, if you noticed, so. but um, actually, a book that we reviewed on this very pod on this episode, but this very podcast mentioned Brattleboro, Sunset Park by Paul Oster mentioned Brattleboro by name. You know what? You are correct. It did. And it just then that that bring up memories of the Marlboro College down the street there. <laughs> Where they give away, where they give away cigarettes to all the students. No, but it was actually a pretty apt description of Brattleboro, Vermont. Um, so I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. 
sort of on a related note, I was watching TV earlier and noticed it was an iPhone commercial, <laughs> I think. Um, and they were going through their, what's the book reader? iBooks. Right. Is that what it is? They were showing iBooks in the bottom left-hand corner is Infinite Jest. Hey, there you go. By David Foster Wallace. So that's, uh, I don't know if that has the same effect as when, you know, somebody in an iPod commercial you know, gets their song played and a million people go out and buy the, the song on iTunes for a buck fifty. But yeah, a little infinite just push there from from the Apple folks on their iPhone. Way to go, Apple. Yeah, pick up something from an author that's been dead for a few years and something he wrote like 12 years ago. 1996, I think. All right. Um, I don't think I have anything else. Yeah, I think we're just about ready to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, do you want to throw out some contacts, how people can get in touch with us? I would love to. Um, certainly, you can find us at bookedpodcast.com. Hopefully that's where you're hearing it, unless you're hearing it on iTunes, because we are on iTunes, and it's fantastic to be on iTunes. Yeah, go to iTunes, subscribe to us, but also uh, you know, give us a rating and leave a, a comment about what you think, um, just because A, that's awesome, and B, it makes us you know look like a super professional podcast. That's correct. You can catch us on Twitter at Booked Podcast. You can email us, bookedpodcast at gmail.com, and I could just go on and on. So if there's some social media outlet you're interested in, just look for Booked Podcast. We're probably in there somewhere. Yeah, and in addition to rating us on iTunes and everything, if there's anything you'd like to see us do differently or better or that you really enjoy that you'd like to see more of, uh, on our website, leave a comment on one of the episodes or just um, – in the about page or anything like that. We'd love to hear any feedback you have about what we could do better, what we're doing really good. Absolutely. One last thing as far as contact goes, um, we'd mentioned before how we love the small press and the small authors who are trying to make their way in the big, big world of publishing. We do kind of have scheduled out what we're reading for the next few podcasts, but if you're interested, drop us a line if you'd like us to review your book. A couple of notes really quickly. We'd like to review your book, but we do have some some qualifiers. Please send us a book only that's completed, that's either been recently published or is soon to be published, and we're more than willing to work with you on when you would like that review to drop on release date, prior to release date, or whatever. Just the way we've gotten a couple of requests. Um, some of it was incomplete. Some of it had been around for a while. Um, so that's kind of it. We'd love to read your book. We're going to try to do that um, fairly often. I think maybe once a month where we go to the small press, maybe more often, depending on what pops yeah. up. Um, we're willing to bump some bigger <laughs> books to, to to do something if it's the right thing to do, if it's going to coincide with a release or to help out a, a smaller author. And another thing for small press authors that are um, interested in us reviewing your book, like Livia said, it has to be complete, but also uh, something that is available for you know anybody to acquire either you know in book format or online somehow and that'll do it for booked this week i'm rob olson and i'm livia snudden keep reading